Welcome to the Integral Health Resources Podcast. This is Bob, and it's been a few weeks since I've checked in. I've been quite busy with my graduate uh, program. I'm finishing up my master's degree in counseling, and I have comprehensive examinations coming up in a couple weeks, so most of my attention has been there. So I figured a short podcast would be better than not doing one at all. And I'd like to dedicate uh, today's episode to an article that I read that was written by Alan Francis. Many of you will be familiar with Dr. Francis. He was the chair of the DSM-4 task force. So he headed up the DSM-4, which is a significant change from the previous DSM. And that the DSM-4 held sway for almost 20 years, from about 1994, just until a couple of years ago. And that's when the DSM-5 came online. And Alan Francis was a very outspoken critic of the DSM-5, specifically, you know, the changes that were made that, in his view, um, made uh, normal behavior and normal experience um, more and more uh, categorized as as a disorder. And in fact, he he wrote a book called Saving Normal that was um, essentially a critique of this philosophy of the DSM-5 and and just a critique of the mental health system in the United States in general. So he's been advocating very strongly for several years now for a series of changes in our mental health system, not just um, a a criticism of the DSM-5. And just this month, he wrote uh, a piece in the Huffington Post, and it was called what drives our dumb and disorganized mental health policies? So as you can tell from the tone, um, there's a really biting critique. And of course, I'll post the link on the, um, on, on the blog. Uh, and I'll, I just want to go over his main, his main uh, criticisms of our mental health system, and then maybe I'll, I'll comment here and there. Most, for the most part, I agree with everything that Alan Francis has said and stood for the last few years. He says a few provocative things in this article, some of which uh, I can speak to out of experience. Uh, other points I really I don't know because, of course, he's citing data and research that I'm not familiar with. So I don't want to just take his word for it because uh, I generally resonate with his views. But he says a, a lot of provocative things. And his main point is that in the United States, our mental health system, perhaps like, you know, our, a lot of our systems, our general health care system, is based more on profit and politics and ideology than it is on a rational assessment of how to deal with our mental health problems. And he, I think, very nicely summarizes uh, the the main problems and and what we have to do to overcome them, I guess, is another thing altogether. But as he sees it, he is very uncomfortable with how the pharmaceutical industry in general has been influencing um, our mental health system. And he sees the over-treatment of the quote-unquote worried well 
as a huge problem and something that uh, is at the expense of people that really need uh, mental health resources to be funneled in their direction, which are the, you know, the severely mentally ill, the people that are mostly struggling. Those people are not getting the attention and, and so much of the attention is going to the uh, segment of the population that really doesn't need um, a lot of the treatment that they're getting because, you know, so many behaviors and experiences that are just, you know, normal developmental life difficulties have become pathologized and uh, which is really something that is unavoidable when the goal is profits. So if the pharmaceutical industry and mental health professionals want more and more customers, then you got to, uh, you know, expand these criteria and expand the definition of pathology until everybody essentially is uh, caught within that within that net. And so, um, really, so number one, his number one point is um, the overtreatment of the worried well is problem number one. And that's promoted not only by pharmaceutical companies, but also by insurance companies, mental health professionals themselves, primary care doctors, uh, politicians, and even patients themselves. And, um, you know, this is a, a very interesting point. It's he's sort of spreading the blame, you know, all around. Obviously, pharmaceutical industries have their marketing campaigns, and they're they're worried about their bottom line. Insurance companies really uh, sort of encourage the uh, premature diagnosing of patients and clients. As I mentioned in the last podcast, the diagnosing for dollars. When you have pressure as a mental health professional or a primary care doctor to give a diagnosis, because otherwise you won't get reimbursement, obviously when the incentives are lined up that way, um, it's it's going to lead to premature diagnosis and inaccurate diagnosis. Mental health professionals, he says, are also to blame. And he, he mentions that, you know, mental health professionals tend to focus on the easiest patients and ignore the ones that really, that are more difficult and need the help. I would also point out that mental health professionals, you know, once they get involved in this uh, system that has to do with insurance reimbursement and so forth, are going to tend to diagnose uh, patients and clients because if they don't, they're not going to get paid. You know, they, they need a certain flow of income. And they can justify that, of course, by saying that, um, you know, I'm just doing it so these people can get services. But again, when you have the incentive incentives lined up this way, you're going to have trouble. Uh, primary care doctors, uh, this is something that Alan Francis has been um, railing against for years. As he cites it, and I, I believe this fits with other things I've read, that primary care doctors prescribe 80% of all psychiatric drugs. So when you think of uh, all the kids on ADHD and all these people that are that are on drugs, for the most part, they're getting their prescriptions from primary care doctors who don't have the kind of training in mental health matters that a psychiatrist or a counselor or a psychologist does. So this is a, a really big problem. And uh, interestingly, he you know he doesn't skip out on putting some blame on patients themselves because people. You know, they tend to want that quick fix. They want the medication as opposed to 
you know, doing the hard work of uh, changing their coping strategies and so forth. And of course, um, on the political level, he, Alan Francis points out that politicians will pander to all the groups listed above just, um, you know, to gain money, to gain votes and that sort of thing. So that's his number one uh, problem there. Number two problem, as he sees it, is the total neglect of the profoundly ill people. And um, that goes hand in hand when you're funneling resources to people that don't really need it. You're taking them away from people that are really, really sick. And he sees that as uh, something that's promoted by state governments, federal agencies, mental health professionals again. He also throws some blame, some blame toward anti-psychiatry uh, movements. And I'll talk about that in a minute. I hadn't thought of that myself. but So state governments, of course, you know, when they cut budgets and they privatize community treatment and housing and so forth, um, that creates the structural systemic uh, difficulties that, that we see um, all over. And as... Uh, Alan Francis puts it in the article. He says that, you know, the, the same state governments, they'll overspend on prison beds um, because, you know, we have so many hundreds of thousands of mentally ill people who end up going to prisons. And that's always, uh, you know, one of the main problems is, uh, you know, we're not treating those severely mentally ill people at all. They just end up in jail because there's no there's nothing else to sort of do with them. And those prisons are expensive. Uh, they're ill-equipped to deal with people with mental illness. Um, and most of these people would not be in jail. They wouldn't be committing crimes if they had, you know, gotten some treatment to deal with some of their, some of their mental health issues. And so, you know, state agencies, federal agencies as well, because they, you know, there's very scarce funding, and, and if you're going to, you know, how are you going to spend that scarce funding? Um, he, he made a point in this article that a lot of money goes to prevention programs and wellness programs that on the surface seem like a great idea. Uh, and his opinion, and, and Alan Francis's opinion, there's not a lot of evidence to show that these prevention and wellness programs are very effective. So maybe, you know, it's a good idea to keep develop, developing them and so forth. But if you have limited funds, uh, he's advocating you, you want to put these funds into the people that need it most. And until these prevention and wellness programs prove their worth, you don't want to divert too many resources in that direction. Another criticism he throws out there is uh, mental health professionals and their associations like the American Counseling Association, American Psychiatric Association, American Psychological Association. Um, Alan Francis, in his opinion, these gr groups tend to, again, cater to the the worried well, and they don't do enough to advocate for this much smaller group of people that are profoundly in need. Because again, you can cash in, you know, when you're marketing toward the vast majority of the population, um, you're going to be able to profit more. Um, and you're not going to make as much money when you're focusing on people that are very ill, and a lot of those people are in poverty and so forth. Uh, another thing that he points out, again, I said I was going to mention, is um, anti-psychiatry organizations. 
you know, there are organizations that, that I keep an eye on, like uh, Mad in America, and I think they put out a lot of really good articles. I actually appreciate their perspective. But Alan Francis, at least, uh, of course, he's a psychiatrist, so I'm sure he's not going to be a huge fan of an anti-psychiatry movement. But um, what the problem, as he sees it, is that uh, they these groups um, are fight against the use of psychiatric medicine and involuntary treatment for everybody, and um, and in Alan Francis's opinion, there are people that desperately require that sort of help. And just because you may be someone who's been diagnosed with a psychiatric disorder, that doesn't mean there are people that are much more ill than you were that may need uh, medicine or may need to be involuntarily um, sent to a hospital or something for their own safety. And so uh, he sees that these advocacy groups as, as being too extreme in their um, crusade against meds. And another thing that he points out, uh, I think really nicely is the research efforts. When you, you know, I've mentioned on the, on the blog and on the podcast before the, the RDOC program that the NIMH has fully embraced. And in general, so much research money, whether you're talking about the NIMH or the pharmaceutical industries or, are, are, being funneled toward uh, neuroscience and brain research and genetics with the idea that, you know, they're going to find the root causes of all mental illnesses. And then, you know, once they just figure out the, you know, the what's going on in the brain, what's going on in the genes, then we can sort of wipe out all these, uh, all these issues in one fell swoop. Um, Francis points out that you know, we have 40 years of of this type of effort where, you know, there's been really interesting neuroscience done and always the promise that we're just on the brink of discovering some major thing in the brain, but that none of this has helped patients. That it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's like putting all your money on a long shot, you know, a long-term gamble. You're, that, you know, you're going to make some great discovery as opposed to, you know, putting most of the money toward the very difficult problems and the actual suffering patients out there now and, and helping them and figuring out what to do with them. But all he, he's advocating, put your money in that direction. And then if you have some left over, then you go and you, uh, you do some of this um, neuroscience research, but you don't put all your chips in that basket because not just in, in Alan Francis's opinion, but in many people's opinion, this is just, you know, a dead end that's gonna, you know, another 40, 50 years, people are still gonna, you know, just be seduced by this idea that they're going to figure out mental health problems at the level of the brain or the genes. And that's just going to decide the matter. And this may be just sort of a fool's errand. I mean, not that, great discoveries couldn't be made in this in this area but you just have to say okay we've we've tried this route for a while and meanwhile we have glaring issues that need to be dealt with and uh let's not let's not divert our precious resources to this sort of gamble that we're going to make these amazing technological or neuroscience discoveries that may or may not happen and so 
Uh, and I, I tend to agree with that sentiment. I mean, let's deal with the things we need to deal with. And then if you, if you have some resources left over, that's when you focus on these long-term dreams that you're going to come up with it, a, an amazing scientific discovery that's going to unlock the, you know, the mysteries of some of these mental health problems. So that's generally uh, the gist of the article. Um, and again, he's got, of course, a very sort of cutting tone. And he also mentions, you know, that it's really groups like the police officers, judges, prison officials that are advocating most strongly for some of the uh, reform in our mental health system, because those are the groups that have to deal constantly with this flow of severely mentally ill people that aren't being helped by our existing system. And so, uh, and also he mentions, uh, he wrote this article in general uh, soon after the latest mass shooting, which um, I'm doing this podcast on October 23rd. So of course there's mass shootings, it seems, every other month. But um, the, the mass shooting in Oregon, uh, if, if people recall, you know, one of the big arguments that the National Rifle Association and other groups made was, you know, it's not it's not about guns. It's about reforming our mental health system. And of course, I agree with Alan Watts that, uh, you know, that the NRA and these groups, um, they're advocating for the right thing, which is mental health reform, but for all the wrong reasons, because, of course, they're just trying to divert attention from um, the role of guns so they can avoid, you know, sensible regulation in that department and trying to just put the blame on, you know, mentally ill people who end up with guns, even though there's very few uh, mentally ill people that do end up with guns and very few people relative to the rest of the population, at least, that commit violent crimes. And so um, he sort of mentions almost sarcastically that, hey, if, if, if that's what it takes, if it takes, um, you know, people on the other side politically, then he, Alan Watts may be to advocate for mental health reform, even if it's for reasons that he finds suspect, you know, he'll take the support because we do need the reform. And if we don't, um, if we don't do, do something soon, we're going to continue to see the disastrous results that we've seen. And this is a man, you know, I believe is in his seventies, who's really has a, 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 a long-term view of our mental health system. And in his opinion, based on his expertise and, and experience, he's he's saying that today, in 2015, it is the worst time to be a severely mentally ill American. Um, because we did a job, even 30 years ago, we did a better job of dealing with um, and, and helping these people. That our system now is just set up to, to ignore these people because, you know, they don't vote, they don't, uh, they don't pad the bottom line for a lot of people and it's easy to to ignore them and and turn attention to the much larger swath of the population that's going to um, funnel dollars into all these various groups and of course i like the fact that he he spreads the blame everywhere and in, including uh mental health professionals like myself and i have to admit i'm, I'm much more motivated to 
work in a, an elementary school, say, doing preventative stuff with kids and, and not do the hardcore work with um, severely mentally ill people. Of course, I've done that. I did it for years. And I've sort of have this uh, right or wrong, this attitude, like I paid my dues in that area. And I'm just sort of burned out. I just, I want to, I want to live in that place where there's, there's a more of a sense of hope. And that's what I get when I, when I work with kids, but I'll take, you know, I'll, I'll take some of that criticism and, uh, also just, you know, people themselves, they, you know, they, they want to take the psychiatric meds. They want their normal foibles to be pathologized so they can not take responsibility for them. And so anyway, it's a great article. I encourage everybody to read it. Um, and, uh, if you have any comments on the article or feedback from me, you can always reach me at bob at integralhealthresources.com or on Twitter, integral underscore health. And, uh, yeah, so that'll be it for now. I'll check in in another couple of weeks, hopefully. I do have my, like I mentioned, my comprehensive exam. So if it's a few weeks before you hear from me, that's uh, that's the best I can do. But until then... I hope everybody has a great couple of weeks, and I will touch base again sometime soon.